Well, morning, everybody. Good to see you all again. I recognize probably half of you. And so it's encouraging to me that I only came back in May to speak last time, and we're in more new faces. So that's always a good sign. And I hope you've all had good enough weeks that you've come here, and but also bad enough weeks that you feel like you can come to church. Um, so for those that don't know me, my name is Joel, as has been mentioned. I'm 25, and I've just finished my first week as a family support assistant for Mid-Sussex Council, which I'd be lying if I said, yeah, it was great, it was easy. It was a wake-up, and a wake-up call to actually how desperate the world is for Jesus. In fact, I went and did my first home visit. I was only shadowing, but I went on my first home visit on Thursday and thought, at the end, how much I'd love to say, can I pray for you? Hayward's Heath is desperate for Jesus. And this church is like a beacon in this dark place. There's no coincidence that you are where you are. And I mean that location-wise, but I also mean that as people. God has placed you here in Hayward's Heath for a reason. And his kingdom is coming. Will we join in with his kingdom coming? I know I want to. And so this morning we're looking at Joshua 2. I think it's your second talk on the series that you're doing in Joshua. So if you'd like to turn to Joshua 2, we're doing the whole chapter, but focusing on a few verses within it. And I'm going to read the whole thing because there's power in God's word and God speaks. So Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. She, so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Gog, Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. 
Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills, so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Verse 22, almost done. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Why don't we pray before we begin? Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word, your living word. And we thank you for your presence in this place. We welcome you to come and meet with each of us this morning that you would bring to life your word, that our hearts and minds would be changed by you. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that was a lot of text, but I always think it's really important to just read the whole thing, even if it's really long, because if we're not reading God's word on a Sunday morning, when are we reading it? And I wanted to start by saying promises. We have probably all made promises in our lives, be it with our spouses, our siblings, our friends, our colleagues, maybe even our pets. I don't know about you, but when I had my dog, sadly he died a few months ago, but I'd always make promises with him that if he was a good boy, he'd get this, or if he did this, he'd get that, and if he was particularly good, he'd go on a longer walk. That was a big one. And they can be big promises, they can be small promises, but the key thing with a promise is that ideally you keep it. Genesis 12 verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. That provides us with the basic premise of why we are here in Joshua 2. Why Joshua has sent out spies to spy out the land. This is the second attempt to spy out the land. The first attempt is found in Numbers 13. And spoiler alert, cut a long story short, the spies get scared and don't trust God. However, there are two spies that don't get scared, and these are Joshua and Caleb. And we read of their response to the land in Numbers 14, verses 6 to 9. And I thought it would be really important for me to actually read this because there's such a weight to what they say. 
And so Numbers 14, verses 6 to 9 says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And in reading this, we can almost imagine the pep talk that Joshua will have imparted and equipped to the two spies. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. This land is exceedingly good. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And so immediately we should recognize that the spies, though the first attempt was a failure, the second attempt they're like, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to go. And in verse 2, we read that the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so now it is known that the spies have snuck in. We are aware that their presence has been both noticed and noted, not just by one person, a small person, but by the king of Jericho the person you probably don't want to know. And so in verse 3, it's conveyed that the king of Jericho sends a message to Rahab personally, which says, bring out the men that came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. And so you may have been thinking in verse 4 and 5, Rahab is a bit naughty. She does lie. She does deceive the king of Jericho. But it is important to to note within these verses and remember that what we are reading is not a recommendation of how one should act or be, but rather a report of what has happened within this story and narrative. And this is evident through the fact that Rahab's deception is neither praised or excused. There is no focus on her action specifically. It doesn't end with... And God was very unhappy with Rahab because she told a lie. This is just a report of information, like a lot of the biblical narrative within this chapter. And I'm quite a visual person. And so when I read verse 6 about her hiding them under the stalks of flax, I was intrigued by what that meant. And so there's a picture, I hope, of an artistic impression And the first thought I thought was, that looks very uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be there for long. But also, how clever. How clever to know to do that. Because obviously, flax had to dry out in the sun. And that's completely valid. No one would have been like, let me look at your flax, please, and tear them apart. Rahab is actually being quite intentional here. And so in verse 7, we read that the pursuers are now out. They're so well hidden that they are now out, and the, pursue, the spies are as safe as they could be. And it's this moment when Rahab probably knows the spies are as safe as they could be, that she goes up to them and shares with them. And what she shares with the spies is nothing short of extraordinary 
read it again because it's just got such a depth to it, which is verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. I know. I know. I know that the Lord has given you this land. And so we may be wondering, how the heck does she know? And we actually get our answer in the following verse. She speaks of the Lord drying up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. She reads and she writes, she says and recalls of what happened to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. In short, God is fulfilling promises based on what he has already done. The God that Jesus describes in the fifth chapter of John's gospel as always working. However, I'd suggest for us, the 21st century followers of Jesus, the precious bride of Christ, there is one promise of God that surpasses any other. And I consider this to be Jesus coming into the world. As that beautiful prayer was prayed by, is it praise earlier? I think it was praise. But she, pray, she mentioned about Jesus being fully human, but also fully God. Jesus walked the earth. I think sometimes we can become so automatic in our Christianity that we forget that Jesus was fully human too. Yes, he was Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, but he was also Jesus of Nazareth too, walking around like you and I do. It says about in a verse in Isaiah about there being nothing to attract us to Jesus. He will have looked like any normal person. It's what he did. That was extraordinary. Jesus fulfills the law and prophets. We sung that earlier in that great song, King of Kings. And it's funny because in my notes, I mentioned Christmas again. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry for that mention again. Christmas, I'm not even prepared to think about yet. I wait until end of November, beginning of December. Amazon Prime is a great thing. But we sing in the Christmas carol, Hark the Heralds. The declaration that Jesus was born, that man no more may die. And some 700 years before Jesus came into the world, he has prophesied as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. We read in verse 5 of this chapter of Isaiah that he was despised and rejected by humankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. As the great Bible teacher and theologian Simon Ponsonby says, Easter shows us the worst that humans can do, but shows us the best that God can do. Easter shows us the worst that humans can do but shows us the best that God can do. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We will remember that later on in the service. But it's important to remember that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. There is not a comma there. That is a full stop. 
It is not, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I have to work for his love. It is not, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I have to be perfect. It is, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Full stop. And I had a highlight of my summer. I hope you all had lovely summers. I don't know about you, but it feels like months ago. But between the 19th and 26th of August, I was invited to be a speaker at a youth camp that I first did in 2021, and that was all a bit weird because of COVID. We had to test halfway through the camp and everything. But they seemed to like me, so we're like, we'd love you to come back and go to a normal camp. So I went to North Wales. Some of you might watch Songs of Praise. It was on Songs of Praise last week. It's called Nevin Camps. And it's funny because they advertised it as an Urban Saints camp, but come next summer, it's becoming its own independent charity. But basically, that was the highlight of my summer. We had 43 young people. Nine became Christians. We had times of spontaneous prayer that the children led. And it made me realize just how hungry the next generation are. These are the 10 and 13-year-olds that were so hungry to be in God's presence that they were okay to not have a hot chocolate at the end of an evening meeting. They wanted to pray. And one of the highlights was the theme of this, this summer was celebration. And you can't not mention Easter. Easter Sunday should be the greatest celebration in our calendar. But so I went with that and finished my talk on that and mentioned a point of that even if it had just been one of the young people, Jesus still would have gone to the cross for them. And the same is true for all of us. If it had only been you, Jesus would have done it. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. And what it was to watch kids, we're called to be childlike, but to watch kids go, <gasps> was such a beautiful moment. But I basically finished with that point and then welcomed God's presence to come and thought, okay, whatever God wants to do, he can do. And there was one boy on the camp and he was unchurched. He had no background in Christianity at all. His Christianity was going to his granddad's on a Sunday afternoon and spending an hour reading the Bible together. And it was this same kid that when I'd finished praying, stood up in front of all the young people and prayed. And his prayer was, I'm sorry for being so dirty. And that sparked something. His boldness, his confidence in admitting that he was dirty, but that Jesus was clean, caused a half an hour time of spontaneous prayer. But it was the unchurched kid. That should really challenge our hearts, I think. Because we are all dirty. It's Jesus that is clean. And God's love is vast. God's love cannot be compared with any other love. God's love is described in the Psalms as being better than life itself. I want to know that truth in my mind and in my heart so much more than I do already. And in verse 11, we read that 
when God's reputation, when we read of what God has done, the people of Jericho melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of them, the Israelites. But it's the second half of that verse which is so powerful, which says, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and in earth below. That is a very powerful declaration. And one could say that this statement is Rahab's confession of and confession to God. And in the original time period, every nation had a God. They had their God that they worshipped. So for Rahab to say, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below, she is declaring that there is one God who is supreme. And the same God is wanting to work in our lives too. And it is little wonder then that Rahab and her faith is mentioned twice in the New Testament. The first in Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. The second in James 2, verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And in verses 12 to 16, we read of a conversation between Rahab and the spies. And the basis of this conversation is based on an oath that the spies will protect Rahab and Rahab will protect the spies. And we read in verse 17 that the oath will not be binding on us. And as we read, and it carries on in verse 18. Unless you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And that's what I'd like to focus on, that scarlet cord. Because when researching around this talk, it is argued to have great significance and point to something so much greater. Yes, like that of the Passover lambs and the blood on the doors, commentators as early as the first century believe this scarlet cord to be a foretaste, an indicator, a sign of Jesus the blood of Jesus. Earlier, I spoke of the talk I did on Easter at the youth camp. And you can't mention Easter without mentioning Good Friday. As we will remember later on, on that first Good Friday, Jesus did really die. It's not that he went to sleep. He really did die. And the way I explained this happening at the youth camp was there's a really cool thing and you can make clear water dirty and then clear again. But when that water became dirty, there's such a symbolism there that Jesus was like the clean water. He was sinless, completely sinless, without sin. And yet he took upon his shoulders all of our sin. All of our dirt, all of our dirge. And we will take time to remember the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed. When I was part of a wonderful C of E church as a uni student, it was always such a privilege to help share with the communion, with the congregation. 
and embedded in this. I mean, the church was very chilled out. As far as C of E went, it was probably the most relaxed you could go. But my old pastor did love liturgy. And he would very simply get us, as we gave communion, to share this simple but profound liturgy. Which when we gave the bread out, we'd say, remember Jesus, ca- remember Jesus died for you. No, sorry, remember Jesus came for you. And when we shared in the wine, we would say, remember Jesus died for you. And I'll never forget, there was one Sunday when I really wasn't, I think I just had my, one of my closest friends' 21st birthday parties. So I won't go into the details. But I had fun. Anyway, I was a student. Um, and the next morning, I got pulled aside by Rog saying, oh, Joel, I'd love you to lead the kids in communion this morning. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I feel so bad about doing this. But okay. And obviously... Kids are a lot shorter than us adults, aren't they? And particularly when I've got these boots on, I'm about six foot. So having kids that are about here, I had to literally go like that and say, remember Jesus died for you. And that moment has never left me. Because Jesus dying for us should make us lower. It should lower us. It doesn't have to be physically all the time, but emotionally and spiritually, we should lower ourselves and remember that Jesus died for us. Each and every one of us. It's actually quite comfy, but I'll get up. (laughs) It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, washes us, covers us, protects us. Charles Spurgeon, a great guy. If you're looking for a good quote for a talk, Charles Spurgeon is often the guy that I go to. But he said, Maybe, there may be some sins of which a human cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. There may be some sins that you don't want to talk about, that you're not ready to share yet. And that's okay. There is grace for you. But remember, though you may not feel like you can speak or share it, there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. And in Revelation 1.18, we read some words spoken by the risen and resurrected Jesus. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. This Jesus, who died and rose again three days later, is alive, still alive. The same God who separated the Red Sea, the same God who worked in and through Rahab, the same God who empowered Joshua and the spies is still alive today. As we started this morning, Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. God is faithful to his promises. Maybe you feel like giving up this morning. Maybe you don't know how much more of yourself you can give this morning. If so, I can relate. Life can be really hard, can't it? 
we need to be so much more honest with God, I think. And I think I'm on a journey of that. Because with the job that I've just started, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my strength. But God is faithful. And as we read in both Old Testament and New Testament, God never fails to come through for his people. And the ultimate expression of this is shown to us in Jesus. And Jesus, this Jesus, is present with us now. In fact, a few weeks ago, I was attending the 30th anniversary of a church that I used to work for. And I was struck by this one thing. We just had a time of quiet, and we'll probably just have a few minutes of quiet when I finish. But I was really struck of Jesus being present. I know that sounds really stupid to say, because when you go to church, you automatically think, oh, Jesus is present here. But it was such a tangible feeling. And in fact, it really felt as though he was just walking up and down the aisles. Up and down the aisles. Being with some people, healing other people, touching other people, drawing close to everybody. But he was so personal in what he did. For some, he was content to just be with. And maybe you need that this morning, just knowing that Jesus is sat beside you. Maybe you need his healing. So maybe then he wants to touch you. Touch you afresh. And that can be physical healing, that can be emotional healing, that can be spiritual healing. A lot of us will have hurting. But we can welcome Jesus in his healing to come into our hurting. So I wanted to end with a few moments of quiet where you may find it helpful to close your eyes, but we are just going to welcome a greater awareness of, to us of Jesus' presence. Because Jesus is present. And so it may be helpful for you to close your eyes, but I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are this morning. That you are always working. And so we welcome your presence to come. That our awareness, Jesus, of your presence would grow in this moment. Would you touch us afresh? Fill us afresh. Help us afresh.